This is a recording made in the chapel of the open book and we are still continuing a series of studies entitled Short Studies for Young People. Now we have looked at the question of right division and the dispensational truth and the need to observe differences uh, like um, spheres of blessing, the earth and the heavenly Jerusalem and the position which is far above all. We know the Old Testament is filled with the burden of the prophets, how they speak so much against the backsliding of Israel and God's heart seems to be torn as he speaks about them in their unfaithfulness. And then at long last, as each prophet comes to its conclusion, we get that gleam of light that they shall be gathered back again, they shall be restored, they shall be forgiven and the wilderness will blossom as a rose and the groaning creation will hush. And it's quite understandable that a person might open the Bible somewhere in Isaiah or Ezekiel or one of those prophets and see these wonderful things outlined as to forget that they, at, at the moment, who are reading it are Gentiles who were never in covenant relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and they may be taking to themselves scriptures which will never be realised in themselves and by so doing they're also forgetting and avoiding and misunderstanding those passages of scripture which belong to themselves. So that there's a reason why we should be careful as to just what we lift out of the scriptures lest by so doing uh, indiscriminately we should be blinding ourselves to the hope of our own calling. Now, the way in which we can deal with that, of course, is by continually observing that God sent, sends his word to a people. The Bible was never written as a book and then left on a shelf and hoping somebody would pick it down and read it. It was always a message sent, either by the spoken word or that which was written, sent by God through a messenger to a people. And unless we are that people, we can have the privilege of reading what God said through Moses, or through David, or through Isaiah, but we always should look on the envelope. And if Isaiah says the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, well, he's told us on the envelope it belongs to that people. If we open the epistle of James, and we find he's, he's addressed on the envelope, to the twelve tribes scattered abroad greeting, we are permitted to read a letter from our Heavenly Father to another member of the family. But we should be very wrong if we shut our eyes to the fact that we are not addressed personally in James or Isaiah. But we have not been forgotten. God in his mercy has sent his Son to be our Redeemer too. And we do not come under the heading of a wife in the Scriptures or the bride in the scriptures, but our calling is spoken of in relationship to Christ as the members of his body. Now, those three terms will occupy our attention in this endeavour to once more open the word of God. The wife is the dominating figure in the Old Testament of the people of Israel. You do not read of the bride of the Lamb until you get to the book of the Revelation. And then, when you come to the teaching of Paul relating to the present period, like the epistle to the Ephesians, Colossians, and so on, the emphasis there is that here is a church which is called the body of him 
who fills all in all, the church which is the one body. And in the unity of the spirit which we are enjoined to keep, that is the first item. There is one body. So that it's wise for us to observe these distinctions. Of course it may be said there are only figures of speech. Uh, a nation of a few million people may be called a wife, or a company of overcomers that run into a few million may be called the bride, and the believers all down the present age that have believed the truth of the one body, they may be called a body, so it's only a figure of speech. But nevertheless, figures of speech stand for something, and if once we accept them, they mustn't be muddled, otherwise we shall produce confusion, not only in our own hearts, but in that of others. Now will you turn with me, then, to one or two scriptures, just to see the way in which these terms are used. And now we are dealing particularly, in the first case, with Israel, in covenant relationship with God, and he uses the figure of a wife, a marriage. And then, he begins to chide them, and speaks very grievously of their utter lack of faith, and uses the word adultery. Now, idolatry and adultery sound very much alike in our language, and they are alike in their meaning. Because to go after other gods is likened to breaking wedlock and being faithless to your marriage vows. And God says that's what they did. And ultimately, we shall find that they were sequestered, they were separated, and they have been waiting in that condition, as I say, for nearly 2,000 years, but there is hope in their end. Now, a few passages will have to be sufficient for this first session. Jeremiah 3. The prophet Jeremiah 3. There's an awful word on the top of my page, the verse 38 of chapter 2, Why gaddest thou about? That's not a very nice word, is it, when you speak about somebody's wife? Why gaddest thou about? And so in chapter 3, uh, isn't this interesting that they say, uh, have you ever been dominated by they say? Well, you know the old motto in one of the Scottish castles, they say, what do they say? Let them say. But not in this case. This is gathering up. A saying. If a man put away his wife, and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? And then the answer is not answered. But you know full well the implied answer is not very likely. I don't say that it's impossible and never has been, but in the generality, if that happens, that's finished. And then we get awful words dealing with this particular case. And they're called, you, you see, in verse 6, backsliding Israel. And we come down at last after a tremendous statement you get in verse 8, and I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. You see, all these terms have used of Israel. They're put, she's put away, she's given a bill of divorce, and then in verse 14, Turn all backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. So there we're getting the answer. In the ordinary course of events, if a man put away his wife and she goes after another one, will he return to her? And the implied answer is no. But now God says, yes, but I'm not like other men. Turn all backsliding children, for I am married unto you. 
and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. So we do well to remember this figure of speech is used. And again he comes back to it in verse 20. Surely as a wife treacherously departeth from her husband, so have ye dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. Of course if this figure were not used, it would be just as many times said that a husband treacherously left his wife. We are not saying that all the women are bad and all the men are good, because even we haven't got cheek enough to stand up and say that. But the scripture, having once adopted the figure that Israel is the wife and the Lord is the husband, well, God never breaks faith. And so it's the poor woman all the time that's the figure of going away and ultimately, after a great sorrow, being brought back. In the 31st chapter of this same prophet of Isaiah, you read in verse 32, in verse 31 and 32, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. See, there again the suggestion that when they stood at Mount Sinai, they were entering into a marriage relationship with God, and they broke it. Now if you'll come back to, or turn on to Hosea, which we looked at just now in our reading, we'll look at chapter 3 and see what has been written there concerning this same relationship, its restoration. Hosea chapter 3. Now for the prophet Hosea, not only was given a message to give to Israel, but he was obliged to have his own domestic life messed up, I speak reverently of course, by the fact that he had to set forth in type and symbol in his own marriage relationships some of the things that God had endured. So when he did have a child, he wasn't allowed to call it whatever name he fancied. He had to call the first one Jezreel, and the second one he had to call Lo-Ruhama, and the third one he had to call Lo-Ami, because they were all giving a sort of prophetic picture. Now you'll find that it all happens again in chapter 3. His wife is said to have come from a very uh, awful place. Go take thee a wife of whoredoms. Now that's referring apparently to uh, those who were outside of covenant relationship with God. Now here's something that's happened in chapter 3. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman beloved of a friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel. See, he says, you do that, Hosea, and you'll be setting forth what I have done, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I bought her to me, so she was sold, she was in slavery, she'd gone after this other man, for fifteen pieces of silver, for a homer of barley and a half homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Now this is the history of Israel since the days of Christ, after the end of the Acts of the Apostles. Thou shalt not play the harlot, Thou shalt not be for another man. Well, you've got to say that about Israel. They're scattered over the earth. They're living in almost every country on earth now. But they owe allegiance to nobody. Of course, if a war is on, one Jew is fighting his fellow Jew in the other army. That's a distress to them. But they're still a separated people. He says, 
Thou shalt not be for another man, and then God says, so will I also be for thee. God has never transferred his title to any other people. It's false to say that we are spiritual Israel, and it's false to say that he is in every relationship to us that once he gave to these people. No, he keeps it for them, they are going to be kept for him. And then it says, for the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, that's true, and without a prince. And the distinction seems to be without a king of their own and without a ruler of the Gentiles over them. For no ruler of the Gentiles can rule any than a complete number of them. It's only sections. And there shall be without a sacrifice. That's one of the things that no Jew can perform today because he's cut off from Jerusalem and without an image. They've never lapsed into idolatry in this sense since. Of course, you can not only bow down to stocks and stones, you can bow down to stocks and shares, and I don't say Israel are quite free from that idolatry, but there it is. And then it says, they shall be without an ephod, that means without a priest. And if you attend a synagogue service, you most likely will never see a priest there, you'll have the reader of the synagogue, the priest has got practically nothing to do. He hasn't got any work. I think it's a tragedy to go down a back street and see a, an old second-hand shop or a junk shop or something, fish and chip shop, and the name of the man over the top is the word Cohen, but that's the word priest. Our saviour is a Cohen, and there's the degeneration of this people. And then it says, without teraphim, and there's a little bit of a doubt as to what that refers, but it looks as though it may be to do with their genealogies. But anyhow, they'll be like that, marking time for all this period, but it's going to end. Afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord in his goodness in the latter days. So there's, is, there's the people, they're likened to this wife that's gone astray. There's a certain period of sequestration when she remains apart and the husband remains apart and then eventually they come back together as the Lord has said. Now there's one or two other passages before we have to stop on this first section, and that is found in the prophecy of Isaiah. The prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 54, verses 4, 5, and 6. 54. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more, for thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken, and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. Oh, it goes on, many prophet, prophetic statements of the restoration of this people. And if you look at chapter 62, and there we have these words, verse 4, Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hephzibah. That was the title of the queen of um, Hezekiah. Hephzibah, and the margin tells you that that means my delight is in her. 
So it's a good name to have, although it sounds strange in our language. My delight is in her, and thy land shall be called Beulah, which means married. For the, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. And then look at the graciousness. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. So she, although she'll be taken back by a woman, like a woman who has been sequestered and a long time absent and having to bear this burden of charge of being unfaithful, yet when the restoration comes, it's going to be full and blessed indeed. And so we have these, these words in the prophets. Uh, just a word or two more before we finish this session, and that is Ezekiel chapter 16. And I don't think it's possible to find a more awful chapter in the whole Bible than Ezekiel 16. I'm not going to read it, only just a verse or two, but if you read, it, read that through and see the charge that's laid against the people of Israel with regard to their spiritual adultery, you'll see something of the way in which the heart of God has been moved at their treachery. Ezekiel 16, verse 16. To 63. This is where we're coming to the end again. Ezekiel 16, 60. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with thee in the days of thy youth, and I will establish unto thee an everlasting covenant. Then thou shalt remember thy ways, and be ashamed when thou shalt receive thy sisters, thine elder and thy younger, and I will give them unto thee for daughters, but not by thy covenant. And I will establish my covenant with thee, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord, that thou mayest remember and be confounded, and never open thy mouth any more because of thy shame, when I am pacified toward thee for all that thou hast done, saith the Lord God. There for a moment we have to pause, because we are breaking this study into two sections, and we'll resume, pick up again in a moment or two.